We've been in a series that we are calling The Struggle is Real. Because uh, no matter who you are, no matter who you are, the inevitable reality is that you are going to walk through seasons of hardship and heartache no matter what you do. There will be nothing you can do to predict it, to avoid it, to get out of it, to fix it. There are just going to be seasons of life is hard. And for some reason or another, I think we as a church have either lost sight of that or we've lived in denial and we've avoided that conversation altogether. Matter of fact, there is this thought that seeped into the church that says the most spiritual, the most put together church folk never go through difficult things. And so when something invades our life that is hard, it just rocks us. It derails us because this isn't supposed to be happening. This isn't according to the script that I received. And uh, we're not quite sure what to do with that. And, um, or we create an environment in the church that almost stigmatizes struggle. And I've heard from people who say, like, I don't want to go to church because when I go to church with the issues that I'm struggling with, I just feel like I don't belong. All of these puts together people walking around with no issues, I feel like an outsider. And so in this conversation, we want to at a minimum acknowledge the fact life is going to be challenging. Life is going to be hard. Listen, you are either in a hard season right now, you're coming out of a hard season, you're about to go into a hard season. Uh, Thanks, Conda, that sounds super positive. But Jesus says, in this world, you will have Trouble, And we've somehow attempted to avoid that altogether. So in this series, we want to acknowledge that that is true. In this series, we want to learn what does it look like to to journey after Jesus even when that is true. Uh, In this series, we we want to process um, a little bit. How should we think about hardship? How should we think about struggle as followers of Jesus Christ. And if you're not a follower of Jesus Christ, at a minimum, to ask the question, how do I continue to live life well when things are incredibly hard? So we've been in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. We're going to be back in that passage, just mining some of the truths that we believe will help us navigate the inevitability of challenging seasons in our lives. And today we want to address Some of the lies that we tend to believe when life is hard for us or when life becomes hard for the people in the world around us. What are some of those lies? If you have a copy of the Bible, 2 Corinthians chapter 12. If you don't have a copy, the verses will appear on the screen, whichever screen you happen to be looking at right now. And you can follow along. That way. Second Corinthians chapter 12, starting at verse 2, this is the Apostle Paul uh, speaking. Here's what he says I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven. Now, whether it was in the body or out of the body, I don't know. God knows. And I know that this man, whether in the body or apart from the body, I don't know, but God knows. This man was caught up to paradise and heard inexpressible things that no one is permitted to tell. 
Okay, we'll do a little bit of review of what we've learned so far. So 14 years prior to Paul writing this letter to the church at Corinth, he says he had the most epic and exhilarating and exclusive experience of all. He got to go on a trip to visit heaven where God lives. And by all implications, God gave him a tour of the place. Needless to say, the most exhilarating experience Paul has had in his life. Never has he experienced this level of joy and peace and and dopamine and not an anxious thought in his mind. No one in all of biblical history could say they ever experienced a return trip to heaven. Um, Incredible. Now, we talked about this last week. Um, Though it might not be as epic as Paul's trip to heaven, the truth of the matter is every single one of us in this room can relate to Paul in the sense that we've all had or we all have a heaven experience. All of us have an epic and exclusive and exhilarating heaven type of experience. And it is really good, by the way, to identify, to know what that experience or those experiences are. Um, For some of us, uh, the heaven thing in our life is an experience or a reality that we had at some point in the past and long to return to, long to repeat, or we long to recreate it. Because whatever that season, that window was, that was it. The most exhilarating, the most incredible, joy-filled dopamine rush of an experience. If I could have just packaged it and lived in that moment, that's the one. And so now I want to return to that place. I want to return to that experience. For some of us, that heaven experience may be something like um, um, the baby stage. I loved the baby stage when they were just like, oh, so adorable and snuggly and they didn't talk back, right? And um, I just want to go back to that little heaven situation. And right, and so, so for some of us, we may like, I'm, I'm, we're going to adopt. Or for some of us, it's like, well, let's just keep having um, more and more kids because we've got to return there. For some of us, it was, it's, it's the honeymoon, uh, the honeymoon period. Um, how we felt, how we gazed into each other's eyes and do you remember that and we took these long walks and man it was just fire and electricity and now you're broken because because why don't you look at me like that why don't we experience life like that together anymore and the honeymoon period in your marriage that was it and so we've got to return to that if you would just change then everything would be fine we would go back there um some of us, it's, it was a chase. It was a chase period, the romantic chase. Do you remember the mystery and the butterflies and the anticipation of, is it going to happen? Is it not going to happen? Remember that. And then you wooed me and you'd leave these notes all over the place. And it was just this incredible rush as we pursued each other and tried to figure it out. I want to go back there, which is one of the reasons I keep sabotaging my relationships and breaking up so I can start again. Because I want to go back to that first feeling of the magical rush, whatever it was. It was a high school physique because did you see me in high school? I was 
chiseled. I felt so good. I looked so good. I got so many compliments. You ask me why I have a bum knee because I'm doing stuff to try and get back to that physique from high school because that represented the best of my life. That was heaven. Oh, my sporting career. Like, man, my athletic accomplishments, pretty amazing. That's why I just, I continue to flashback, you know, post on on social media and, you know, I've got my awards and I'm constantly revisiting the stories and, and talking about the good old days because that's what I want to return to. That represents heaven on earth. No, for me, it is definitely the job that I had four jobs ago, the camaraderie, the chemistry, the productivity. They even wrote an article about us. That was the job, man. I don't know why I stepped away from it. So I've been trying to get back into work like that. That's why my family keeps moving and I keep quitting and I keep starting again because now I'm looking for that ideal return to Perfect. The place where our bank account has the zeros it used to have back in the day. Because that represented the heaven and the peace of mind of knowing that we could spend and eat out and drink as many coffees as we want without concern. We have it. For some of us, it's not something we experienced in the past. It's um, an experience or a reality that we want for our lives. Because we believe if I could just get there. If I could just have that, that would be heaven, right? And so right now you are living in this pursuit of the heavenly, right? And for you, that may be like one day when I'm married, oh, that'll be it. You know, um, marriage will complete me. You know, Jerry Maguire told us this. And so I, I just know like right now there's an emptiness that is going to be filled by only the right person, right? And so I'm constantly scoping and scanning. In fact, I came to church because I hear there's some cute ones at church who love Jesus, you know? And so I'm just, that's the thing that's going to do it for me. Um, Maybe it's family, right? I, I just want to have a family, the sort of these, you know, adorable children who are always well-behaved and always matching, you know, like that to me feels like that's the picture of perfection or it's the antiquated picket fence and, and you know, like that, 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 the house and just the scene. And when I think about that, that just does it for me or it's when I graduate. You start to hear this in college, when I graduate, right? Like life is, is, is out there and when I graduate though and I get my degree, ooh-hoo, then I'm going to live. That's going to represent heaven and I don't need to, to, to navigate my parents and their rules because they still kind of pay for stuff like I'm going to be free and that's going to be heaven for me. When my bank account says that number, that's going to be heaven. And for some of us, it's like, I don't care. I just want to be famous. I just want people to know me and recognize me when they see me. I don't even care how that happens. That's why I have 17 TikTok accounts and 400 YouTube channels. I'm just hoping to go viral because once that happens, that represents heaven for me. Or when the scale gives that magic number. When I step on the scale and it tells me, hey, this is how much you weigh, then I'll know. That is heaven. That is what heaven's going to be. And some of you are like, I don't care about the scale. I just want to be able to walk from my bed to the scale without experiencing any pain. I just want health. All of you with your lofty goals, just a day without pain would be heaven for 
me one day in the future. We all have a, a, a third heaven experience. We all have a paradise experience like Paul. The thing that we would long to just live in, if we could just live there, this would be heaven. The thing that we would want people to know about us and ask us about, and the thing we'd want to post on social media and pin to our profiles, because this would represent joy and peace and peace of mind and Dopamine. Heaven. Somewhere we want to get or get back to heaven. Heaven. And it's a place, by the way, where we, we tend to believe. And some of you are maybe experiencing it right now. You're like, I'm experiencing heaven right now. Like, life is perfect. I wouldn't change a thing. And the rest of us, we don't like you, but whatever. Like, good for you. Congrats. You know. Um, but it's the place where we start to believe things like, well, God's favor rests on me. God must like me. Hashtag blessed. It's a place where we start to believe things like, well, I, I must have done something right. Definitely righter than you. Because how else do you explain that kind of a high school career? Right? Except that I did some things that earned me this paradise situation that I'm in. How's the workout? How else do you explain that I'm married to the, you know? And we start to think things like that. I'm, I'm a little bit better than I was before on account of this job I now have, right? Or I'm at least a little bit better than you are. This is what life should be like all the time. And if we are overly spiritual, this is what life should be like all the time when you love God and God loves you. Which makes it very fascinating. What Paul says about his heaven experience. Fascinating. Verse number five. Paul says, listen, I'll boast about a man like that. But I'll not boast about myself except about my weaknesses. Verse 6, but even if I should choose to boast, I would not be a fool because I would be speaking the truth. But I refrain from boasting so that no one will think of me more than is warranted by what I do or say. Or so that people won't think of me more than is warranted because of these surpassingly great revelations. Therefore... In order to keep me from becoming arrogant, conceited, self-sufficient, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. This was amazing to read. How Paul speaks about his heavenly experience. Yes, it was amazing. The best experience ever. But it did not make me any better, and it definitely did not make me any better than anyone else. Matter of fact, I'm not technically even allowed to be talking about this. I'm not technically allowed to post about this on social media. Because if I do, it might give people the impression that I'm better than I actually am. 
So I'm not even allowed to do it. It may give people the impression that I'm maybe a little bit better than them on account of the fact that I went to heaven. They've not even been to Cancun, right? I'm not even allowed to talk about this. Why? Because people might get the false impression that I'm better because of this little heavenly experience I had. And that's not true. And they will lose sight of the more important things like how do I navigate the day-to-day decisions in my life. Didn't make me better. And it certainly did not make me any better than anyone else. That's the truth about my heavenly experience. And Paul says, it was amazing. Best experience ever. But man, it was super short-lived. It happened 14 years ago and it lasted about the length of a dream. And then it was gone. Now, I would love to make it sound like this was my life. And this is how I lived all the time. And this is me. And this is how my life is defined. But the reality is it was a vapor. And then it was gone. That wasn't the reality of the life I lived. It was just a moment. I'm telling you, this was the 33rd of 35 photo attempts of the family. And even then, we had to bribe our little children with chocolate and and, and, and an extra screen time to get them to sit still. But we posted it and made it seem like this is how our family looks all the time. It was just a moment. Lest you think of our family more than is warranted by how we fight all the time. Based on a blip that we caught that was very short-lived. I love how real Paul keeps it. Oh yeah, the pictures of us sunbathing on our honeymoon. It was sunny for like half a day. It rained the rest of the time. And if I'm honest, it's been raining in our marriage since. It was short-lived. It didn't last. Now what it did do. What this heaven thing did do. Was it, it, um, it actually tempted me. To start to think that I was better. It tempted me to start to feel like I was better than the other people who didn't have as many likes on their thing. Or the other people who didn't quite do that or get to that. It tempted me to start to feel like I was a little bit better. It was a temptation for pride. Tempted to feel like, who are you to tell me anything? Who is anyone to tell me anything? I got to go to heaven. Did you? No? They call me Heavenly Paul. What are you going to tell me right now? Because I'm a little bit better. It tempted me to start to think that. It tempted me to start to feel that way. It tempted me to start to believe like, well, God must love me a little more than he did before this experience. And he definitely must love me a little more than he loves you. Because otherwise he would have taken you too. Tempted to feel self-sufficient. Like I don't need anything else when I have high school. I don't need anything else when I have this heavenly experience. I won't need anything else once I get married. It's tempting to start to feel self-sufficient. Like this, this heavenly experience is all I would need. 
It was great, Paul says, but unlike what I might have hoped, it didn't last longer than a moment. Come on, come on, married people, tell the unmarried people. The truth. It's been a honeymoon for 14 years. Just look at our Instagram joint account. Liars. <laughs> Despite what I'm tempted to have you believe, it didn't make me any better. And it certainly did not make me any better than anyone else. Isn't that interesting? Isn't that interesting? We spend the bulk of the energies of our life chasing after the heavenly experience, the American dream. We are going to chase after it and we are going to catch it. And once we find it, it is going to change us. It is going to make us better and it's going to make us better than everyone else. And Paul says, that is a lie. I had the most epic of all experiences and it was a vapor. Isn't it interesting that these are the kinds of things we want to tell each other when we come to church? This is how we want people to think about us when we show up to, to church. How are you doing? Oh, ask me. This week we had quite the heavenly experience. Like the lobby is designed to exchange who had the more heavenly experience as an evidence that we're better than we were. Oh, we may be better than you are. We spend our energies chasing after something Paul tells us. It won't do what you think it's going to do. It will be amazing and then it will be done. And it won't make you better. And it won't make you better than anyone else. We have to break up with a culture in the church that encourages this. Like this is the goal. This is the goal. And study the Bible. You will never find anywhere where we're told to chase any kind of heavenly experience on earth. Seek first the high. I found this so interesting. And yet this is what we want to lead with. In the church. The thing that will tempt us to start to feel self-sufficient. And you know it's true. The moment where you get that thing or you get that award. Oh man. You're going to refresh and count likes. And refresh and count again. Because how good did you even look there? Right? You don't need nothing. Don't tell me anything. Did you see how many likes? Makes us feel self-sufficient, like we don't need anything. You can't tell me anything. And the biggest problem of all <laughs> is in the moments that we happen to get a glimpse of heaven on earth, we start to lose our appetite for the actual heaven. Ask the church. How excited are you to live forever and ever in the presence of Jesus? Like, mm, I've got things to do. I still have dreams to chase here on earth. Please know, I'm not even married yet. God wouldn't do that to me. He wouldn't take me to heaven before I found a boo-boo. Like, no! Right? 
spicy bay, and then the pearly gates, right? And so the reality for us is there's just this sense where it's like we're just not that into the real heaven because we're so busy trying to create heavens on earth. What happens next should not surprise us. It should not surprise us. This is a side comment that some of you understand the reference. When Jesus was on the Mount of Transfiguration and he looked all glorious. And his disciples are like, this is it. Let's make some tents and let's stay here. This is perfect. And Jesus is like, we have work to do. There's a struggling kid down at the bottom of this very hill. Let's go. In the Old Testament, when they tried to build, they tried to build this tower to reach the heaven. God is like, mm, 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 mm. It's not time. Earth is not built for heaven. Not time for that. And he interrupted their plans. No surprise what happens next. All right, we need to move on. Verse 7, the second part. Therefore, in order to keep me from becoming self-sufficient and and feeling like I was better and, and, and feeling like life had peaked, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan, it's called, to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. Ooh, Paul goes from the heights of heaven to the hardest of places without warning. Now, this thorn in the flesh that Paul got, again, Pastor Jeff said this a couple of weeks ago, we don't know the exact nature of it, but we do know some things about it. We do know that whatever this thorn was in Paul's life, it was excruciating. It, it was brutal. Uh, it was a struggle in his life that was the opposite of joy and peace and dopamine. This was painful for him. We know um, it was more difficult for him than anything else that he had ever experienced before. I wonder if you've had a thorn in your life. A struggle like this. Whatever it was, we know it was undesirable. Paul wanted no part of this. He wanted this thing out of his life. Matter of fact, if this struggle, if this hardship wasn't in my life, I would be able to live and soar and everything would be so much better. He wanted it out and so he begged God, please take it away over and over and over and over again. Whatever this thing was, we know it was persistent. Whether it came in waves, we know that for about 14 years, it had been plaguing him. It had been dogging him. Him. It had been coming after him and it was not letting up. I wonder if you have a hardship like that in your life. And maybe it's hang around for, for months or for weeks or for, for years. Just showing up and introducing this excruciating, undesirable experience. Whatever this thorn was, we know it was impossible. There is no amount of spiritual gift or or connection or community or prayer meeting that could change it or fix it. This thing wasn't going anywhere and there was nothing Paul could do. He was completely helpless and resigned to this hardship in his life. I wonder if you've ever experienced a thorn, a painful reality that you just want out of your life, but there is nothing you can do to make it stop. Maybe it's emotional, an emotional pain. I mean, the grief that just won't go away and it just returns in waves no matter what statistics or anybody else has said to you. Maybe it's a mental health battle. 
that you've been warring. And you know as well as I do, you don't show up to church and lead with that. How are you doing, man? The mental health thing. That feels like uh, that's not going to be well embraced. That's something that I may feel the need to maybe hide in corners of shame. Maybe it's relational tension because no matter what you've done, the tension remains. And you've tried and nothing seems to be changing. Or maybe it's the ache of relational rejection or abandonment. And no matter what bridges you've attempted to build, they just continue to be burned to the ground. Maybe it's, it's, it's the loneliness that screams deeply in your soul. And you can be around hundreds of people. In fact, when you use that word around people, they're like, but you have 5,000 Facebook friends. Right? But you're around people all the time. But yet the feeling of loneliness won't let up. For some of us, it's just a temptation that dogs you. Again, never the act of choosing to sin. But just the temptation for some of us. You can't even go to that section of the grocery store. Because you know what's going to happen. And you feel like you live with like little bubble wrap. And you feel like you live with, you know, training wheels. Because I can't go where y'all can go. You guys are getting together and you're doing what? I'm sorry. If I show up there, like I, I know what's going to happen and I can't. I can't. And it's like it's been years. Like I thought I'd be at a better place by now. But... The temptation is real. Maybe it's a physical condition or a physical limitation for you. Um, That just has you hampered or struggling with pain. God, please take it away. I wonder what thorn you might have in your life. But can we talk about The lies we tend to believe about the hardships and the struggles in our lives. And by the way, it should be no surprise to you. Because if you noticed, Paul refers to the thorn as a messenger from Satan that torments. It should not surprise you if in the midst of your struggle, in the midst of your thorn, in the midst of your hardship, there is voice after voice whispering lie after lie because the devil is the father of lies and he loves to speak his native language, which is lie. So in the midst of the thorn, don't be surprised if Satan torments with lie after lie after lie after lie. Like God must be mad at you for something that you did at some point that was so terrible that he is lashing out in angry punishment. How else do you explain what you are going through and what you've continued to go through? That, by the way, is a lie. Turns out... God unleashed all of his punishment and his anger on his son Jesus on the cross if you're a follower of Jesus. That's a lie. It's a lie. God must hate me, hashtag cursed, right? If I'm going through something like this. The lies. I'm a terrible person. Otherwise, why would something so terrible be happening in my terrible life? 
Uh, maybe I'm just unspiritual. Like I just don't pray enough. I don't read the Bible enough. I knew I should have volunteered more. I should have given more to the church. I just don't have enough faith. Because if I had enough faith like all of these other church people. Who don't seem to have the same kinds of struggles. Then I would be better. Something must be wrong with me spiritually. And I don't quite measure up. That's why I'm going through what I'm going through. And the enemy loves it. I'm the only one who ever experiences struggles like this. One of the devil's favorite lies. Because then he gets to lock you up in a cage of isolation. Because no one else will understand. And so we fake it with each other. We lie to each other while we live separately. And the enemies, you know what unity does. So don't have them talking real talk. Have them faking each other out in the hallways. Or there's another extreme where hard things happen in our lives and we start to say things like, this is unfair. Nothing bad should ever happen to me, ever. Because I'm a perfect person who's done all the perfect things. That's not true either. Enemy doesn't mind which way he lies. Equal opportunity liar. Or it's temporary. It has to be. There's no way this thing can continue to last. And then other people be like, yeah, I think so. You know, statistics say that 98% of grief only lingers for, like, you don't know. And the reason that the enemy loves that lie is because then when you get to the 98% landmark and you're still struggling, God must be a liar. His word must be false. He must not love me. I wonder what lies your thorn has had you believing about you and about God. And yet check out what Paul says about the thorn, about struggle, about hardship. It is really fascinating. Paul, tell us about heaven and the heavenly experience and the high. I, I don't want to talk about that lest you guys think of me as more. Well, tell us about the thorn. Let's talk about this. This I want to talk about. Interesting what he says. Verse 8. Three times I begged the Lord to take it away from me. But he, God, said to me, my grace, I love it. He quotes what God says about the thorn. I love it. What did God say about the heavenly thing? He said, don't talk much about it. What about this? God said about my thorn, about my hardship, about your thorn, about your hardship, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Ooh, that's good. I don't always like it, but man, that's good. My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Paul resolves, therefore, you know what I want to talk about? I'll boast all the more gladly. I'll post all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. Wow. That's the truth about your struggle. That's the truth about our thorns. That's the truth about our 
hardships. I'm telling you, our perspective needs to be healed and our perspective needs to change and our perspective needs to align with what God says about our hardships, what God says about our struggle. This is powerful. First thing Paul seems to say is, hey, you need to know that your thorn, your hardship is a teacher of grace. It's a teacher of grace. This is so beautiful. While the enemy is lying to you, telling you God hates you, God is mad at you, God is lashing out at you because of your struggle, God says the complete opposite. Oh, no, no, no. I actually want to pour out my grace in increasing measures in your struggle. On you in this struggle. That is so beautiful. I want my grace to become more real to you than it's ever been in this struggle. Grace. Grace. Grace is the unearnable favor of God. Grace. Grace is God saying to you, I love you. I love you. I can't stop loving you. I won't stop loving you no matter what you do. I love you. There is nothing you can do to get me to love you more. There is nothing you can do to get me to love you less. Every time I see you, I love you. I will never unchoose to love you. I love you and I want you to experience my unending, never changing love for you. Grace. This is what Paul says in this passage of scripture grace the unearned favor of God God and all of heaven letting us know everything up here is leaning over the edge favorably disposed towards you we want nothing but the best for you we are cheering for your best up here the favor of God the the love of God the grace of God, I love this. There is nothing you can do to change how much I love you. Nothing. There is nothing you can go through that will change how much. I don't care what's happened to you. I don't care what you've done. I don't care what they've said about you. I don't care how you feel about yourself. I love you and nothing is going to change that grace. Woo! Your hardship is not a punishment It's a teacher. It's an invitation to know God's grace in more real ways. And here's the challenge, y'all. There are fewer, better places for us to learn and drown in the grace of God than in the midst of hardship. Why? That is the moment when you feel least proud. And God is screaming, I love you right here. The moment when you feel like I have nothing to offer. Yep, I want you to know I love you more. Right here, when you feel least Instagrammable, God is screaming, I love you right here. When you have no reason to feel like anyone should love you, God is like, I love you. And there is nothing you can do to change it. I'm sorry. It's in the moments when you feel most unwanted and most unlovely. It's in the moments when you, I can't go to church like this. 
God is like, I love you. You will never fully embrace or understand the beauty of my grace until you embrace and understand it in the midst of feeling broken and unwanted. And that's when God is screaming grace upon grace. I love you here. And the moment you start to feel better, you might be tempted to think, oh, this must be why God loves me because I got out of it. And this shouldn't surprise us, by the way. This is the way we come to know Jesus in salvation. You cannot know Jesus in salvation until what? Until you get to the place where you say, I've got nothing to offer you. I'm broken. I'm messed up. I've got nothing to give. And grace is like, yes, rush to her. Rush to him. And then we get all grown up in our faith. And we're like, "Mm, now we have stuff that makes us more lovable, God. We know where grace meets us. It meets us at our lowest in our most broken. So it should not surprise that periodically God allows us to come back to these places. Not to punish us. To remind us. I met you here. I found you here. You are loved here. You don't need to perform. You are loved just the way you are. Grace. And I want you to know my grace is all you need. So that when you get back out there, you don't start to believe it's your Instagram likes, it's your performance, it's how many verses you've memorized, it's how much you volunteered in the church. I can't have you believing that. I want you to know it is grace and your grace is sufficient. So it shouldn't surprise that Paul starts to say stuff like, well then, maybe I'll stay here a little bit longer. Because while the world says chase a high, I found the high of knowing that I am loved in all of my brokenness and imperfection. I might hang out here, God. Thank you so much for your grace over me. And what do we do as a church? We say, oh, you got to get out quickly. Don't worry. Uh, it won't last. Let's get back to chasing the heaven vapor. And he says, oh, and also it's, it's a platform for power. It's a platform for power. My power, he says, is made perfect in weakness. My power is made perfect in weakness. My power is not made perfect in the heavenly. My, my power is not made perfect when you have reasons to boast. My power is made perfect in weakness. Power, power. Talking about that world creating, that, that death crushing, that Jesus raising power. That power Is made most perfect and most real to you in your struggle, in your weakness, in your sense of like, I can't do anything right now. I'm so defeated. I'm so resigned. I can't. God is like, yep. Now you will know. When you start to see lives around you transformed, now you know that as you share the gospel, when you feel completely broken and unable, it wasn't because you knew a verse, it wasn't because you figured things out, it wasn't because you called in a favor, it's because my power is carrying you. And when you get to tell the story, you're going to start to sound like Paul. Like, yeah, we could talk about that. But can we not? Can we talk about how I just couldn't? I had nothing left in me. And yet I found myself somehow taking steps towards Jesus. And I just knew it wasn't me. It wasn't my connections. It was power that was carrying me. I love Pastor Jeff sharing a story about a painful diagnosis. In fact, when the doctors came in to talk about, like, there's nothing we can do. And yet the impact that this life had on the the, the medical staff in the hospital. It's like, I mean, every time I go for medical visits, somebody else gets saved. That's not you. 
That's his power being made perfect in weakness. And we're at home and like, we don't know what to do with these children. We can't figure it out. And there's nothing I can do about that relationship. And as things are happening in your life, it's power. As your life is the most difficult, and you've seen this. The mark to me of people who are truly growing in faith is like, how is life going really bad? How are you doing? The joy of the Lord. I'm sorry, did you say joy? Yeah, that's not me. That's the power of God doing something that I just couldn't possibly produce in my own life. And what Paul is saying and God is saying is that my power shows up the most on the platform of weakness, helplessness. And this should not surprise us. Our faith is founded in this very thing. That Satan was defeated while Jesus was hanging on a cross. That your sin was crushed while Jesus was lying in a grave. That's power. That's power. And the invitation is like it's in the midst of your weakness. It's not when you've gotten up and you figured it out. Because then you will be convinced it was your connection. You figured it out. And those will be the stories you tell. Heaven is going to be populated by people telling stories of when I just couldn't. And yet here's the gospel coming out of me. And I'm raising my hands in praise. And I'm continuing to move forward. Not because God fixed everything. Because his power was carrying me nonetheless. While I was on a cross in life, he was healing and doing things in, through, and around me. And I started to pray for the people who were going through the thing that I was going through. And I started to see they're getting healed. And it's like God is now using me to bring things about. I don't know what the power of God will look like in your life. But what we as a church need to stop doing is fighting against God. By trying to get any weakness. Like no, we want to be the strong. We want to be the church filled with the strong. We want to be able and competent and be able to tell people, here are the three steps that I figured to no longer be tempted by that. Oh no, it's the power of God. Every time I walk in the store and I walk out successfully, I'm like, that wasn't me. That was the Lord. Right? We want to be a church that says, hey, listen, when I'm weak, then I'm strong. And man, if we get to the place where it's like, man, we're ashamed of weakness and we're trying to get out and we believe that the strongest people are the the godliest people and the ones the Lord loves most, we will miss what God actually says. Team, why don't you come on out? We're going to do a closing song um, just to declare some of these truths and let them seep in and stick in our souls a little bit more. Um, The struggle is the place where power and grace are made most real. I'm just saying, let's at a minimum stop dissing, stop creating a culture in which we push each other away from anything that resembles weakness. I don't know where you are right now or what it is that God is is speaking to you. But Lord, I do pray that those who may be going through struggle, even right now, That they would not rush out of it without saying, God, first introduce your grace to me in new ways. And God, make your power so real to me here. 
But I pray that we will be so quick to acknowledge our weakness, so quick to acknowledge our struggle, so quick to acknowledge we just can't. And that we would become attractive to your power, Lord, attractive to your grace. Help us to be a movement of people who are reminded that you need us and you love us as we are where we are in the midst of our family messes and dysfunctions. There is your power waiting at the door for your church to just say, we can't, Lord, we need you. So do your amazing work in us and do your amazing work through us. Not because a, a strong church moved through Kosciuszko County, but because a bunch of messed up, broken people carried by the power of God became a means through which the power of God was unleashed onto our county. Have your way with us. In Jesus' name, amen.